0: Welcome back to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast, where we're starting a new season on some topics that most pastors didn't learn in seminary. So we learn them the hard way. We're calling it the business on church business.
1: I kind of think another name could be how the sausage is (laughs) made. Right,
0: the sausage factory. Welcome to the underbelly. All right, so this is a really important topic, Leslie, because... A lot of, you know, seminary try to give you a class on church administration. You try to learn everything you can. You think it's all common sense, and to a degree it is. But the truth is, there's a lot of things that go into leading a church and leading it well and leading it successfully that... A lot of us have just had to learn through the School of Hard Knocks. And so what I want to do is try to share some of our experiences at Family Church and that I had uh, in previous churches, because uh, experience is a great teacher, but it's not the best teacher. The best teacher is other people's experiences. That's
1: right. I always remember, um, I think it's Beth Moore who said, I want to learn something from the books rather than taking the field trip myself. Right. Um, So you want to learn from other people's experiences that they've had, especially in this area, because these are critical areas. And like you said, I don't think most pastors, I'm not a pastor myself, but I don't think they went into ministry to run a business. No. They went into ministry because they wanted to reach people, make disciples. They have a spiritual desire to um, see people reached for the cause of Christ. But then there's this other side of being a church Um, that they also have to learn to lead.
0: And that's exactly right. And whether or not uh, you personally are hands-on with the business of your church, if you are a lead pastor or you're in a pastoral role, you do have influence and you do have responsibility. You
1: are responsible, And people are
0: expecting you to oversee and shepherd all aspects of the church, and uh, whether it's a small church, whether you're bivocational, or whether it's a, a medium-sized, large church, there are just aspects of this that are running a business. I know um, when I, Leslie, when I first got into ministry, I got into it as a student pastor, a youth pastor, and I thought the greatest thing that I would ever do would be to put 12 kids in a van and take them on a mission trip, and, to the, and the truth is, to this day, that's kind of my picture of the highest pinnacle of ministry influence. And now as a lead pastor of a large church like Family Church, we have, you know, 200 employees or whatever and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of property and all this different stuff that happens. And I'm meeting with lawyers and whatever. And man, sometimes I look around, I go, this is not what I got into this to do. Right. And yet it's my responsibility. And so if I want to be a pastor of a church like this, I'm just going to have to have some facility for leading the business on church business. And so are our listeners.
1: Yeah. And so what experiences have you had either in your own life, like you said, or when you talked to other pastors that made you realize that these are important topics for us to cover?
0: I'll tell you, when I first came to Family Church, it was then called the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. And our church years ago, like in the 70s and early 80s, had a model where the deacons were a board of deacons and they actually functioned like a governing board. And so they were the authority and they ran the church. They were the boss of the pastor. They were the Boss of everything, and all church business had to run through them. Well, in the early '90s, our church changed its bylaws and really transitioned a lot of that leadership responsibility to the senior pastor. Mm-hmm. And that's long before I showed up. And uh, but the problem is that a lot of the deacons never got the memo, that's right. and so they were still functioning as in their minds as a board and trying to assert and kind of flex up. All the time, as a board, like you've got to run this through the deacons, and and so one of the things that they would accuse me of is, hey, like, you're violating our bylaws. Well, I was so grateful that our bylaws were well written, were succinct, were brief, and I could actually become an expert on rather quickly, and so that was my goal. I decided I'm going to be more of an expert on the bylaws than anybody, and so that's what that's what I did, and I was so glad it protected me in so many different. Areas. And then, Leslie, I talk to pastors all the time. They come see me or they, they give me a phone call and they say, Hey, we're having this issue with our church and I'm not sure what to do. And I'll say, Well, what do your bylaws say? And I can just tell by the silence or the blank stare, it's never crossed their mind to look at their bylaws. Mm-hmm. From time to time, you know, our church has done a lot of mergers or we call them strategic partnerships. And churches from around the country will call and say, Hey, we're thinking about doing a merger or a strategic partnership. Can you talk to us about that? And I'll say, "Well, yeah, what do your bylaws say?" And they're just like, "What are you talking about?" And I say, "Well, what? How about the church that's going to merge with you? What do their bylaws say?" "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. And so I've just seen this be so so vital in terms of being able to lead a a growing church.
1: So this is really our first principle for our listeners is that every lead pastor, every senior pastor should Know their bylaws. Know
0: your bylaws. Be an expert on your bylaws. It is crucial to your leadership platform.
1: So what are those, what are bylaws? Like explain to our listeners, hopefully they all know, but in case they don't, explain (laughs) for us what are bylaws and what are generally in your bylaws or what should be in your bylaws.
0: Yeah. Well, so I'm not an attorney, but basically if you are a corporation, a nonprofit corporation, like in the state of Florida, we have to have our bylaws on file with the state of Florida. And those are the rules that we as an organization have agreed to operate under. So we have created these rules, we've agreed upon these rules, and the state of Florida is expecting us to operate and make decisions according to our bylaws. If we make decisions in violation of those bylaws, we then open ourselves up to people challenging those decisions, if necessary, in court, and we could actually lose if we don't make decisions according to the rules that we've agreed to as members of this church. mm mm-hmm.
1: And I was just, we were just talking before we came on, I was doing some research on this and I just Googled churches that violate their bylaws (laughs) and a lot of um, of examples come up. And one recently, Idaho Supreme Court ruled that a church failed to follow their bylaws. So they overturned the selection of a pastor and the resignation of two board members and how they conducted their business meetings. So I would assume that greatly disrupted what that church was trying to do there in Idaho.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of pastors and churches are really naive and maybe even foolish about this because I've heard a lot of pastors say, oh, we don't worry about the bylaws. We just follow the spirit of God. Or, you know, we don't, we don't worry about the bylaws. We just operate according to the New Testament. That is very, very naive and very foolish in a litigious society like we have, because if you don't follow your bylaws, you're actually violating the laws of your state and you can be held accountable for that. And you really don't want the government jumping in and starting to conduct your business meetings for you. But they have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, the way to protect yourself is to simply follow your bylaws. And Leslie, we've had a couple of instances where we were threatened with lawsuits. There have been three different times mm-hmm. since I've been here that people have challenged me and threatened lawsuits because they were they were saying that we had had violated our bylaws or the bylaws of a church that we were about to create a partnership with. And of course, because we were so careful to make sure that we Followed the bylaws just very carefully. We were protected from those, and those suits never went anywhere.
1: Yeah. So obviously, it's extreme to think about a lawsuit or people bringing a lawsuit against you. But are there some other reasons that you can think of? While it's why it's important for a pastor to know
0: his bylaws. One reason is it it gives you the decision making process. For your church. And so if you're going to lead a church, you need to have the process for decision-making. So if your process is committees have to approve it, if your process is your congregation has to approve it, if your process is the deacons approve it. it, it really doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I certainly have some preferences about all of that, but whatever the system is, you need to know what the system is so that you can make leadership decisions with integrity. Yeah. And it allows you to stand before your congregation and say, hey, we made this decision. We did it according to the rules that we've agreed on as a church and I don't have to back up from it. I don't have to be embarrassed about it or be afraid someone's going to challenge it because we did this the right way. And uh, there's a a saying that uh, a clear conscience is a soft pillow. (laughs) And I know that when I have done my best to make decisions with the right heart in the right way, following the rules, and I can stand before God and our people or the courts in the state of Florida, if necessary, and say, no, we did it exactly the way we're supposed to do it. And that's how we arrived at this decision. And it just gives you a lot of confidence as a leader.
1: So as you look at the bylaws of a church or a church that we're partnering with, you just said, I have some preferences in the way that I would like to do things. Um, I think our listeners would be interested in knowing that because they might pull out their bylaws and see that their church is not, they may not be operating according to the bylaws, kind of like ours was not. Um, They're just kind of operating based on tradition and how it used to be. But they might want to look at it and say, what do I want my bylaws to say so that I can govern in the way that fits me. What are right. your recommendations? Well, they can look at,
0: we've rewritten our bylaws uh, over the last several years and anyone who wants to can go on our website mm-hmm. and go on our resources tab and look up our bylaws and see them for yourselves. We have a pastor uh, led church. And so the senior pastor is the is the spiritual and organizational leader of our church. That was in our bylaws before I came. That's still part of our bylaws, but we do have a process that involves uh pastors and uh, staff, and it also involves uh, different committees. And then we have certain decisions that must be taken to the congregation. So we still have, we operate under congregational authority. And of course, since I helped to shape the bylaws that we have, I think it strikes the perfect balance. That's
1: right. (laughs) So,
0: So if you want to know what it would look like if Jimmy Scroggins was designing bylaws, just read our bylaws and there you have it.
1: So what kinds of things, like what constitutes a change in our bylaws? What would motivate you to say we need to change our bylaws?
0: Well, a couple of things. One, Uh, sometimes the church changes. So, the church grows or the church changes or the culture changes, and you just want to adjust your decision-making process to match the pace and the size and the scope of the decisions that you're making. And so probably the larger a church gets, uh, the more centralized decision-making is going to become. Whether it's centralized in a group of elders or a single lead pastor or a committee or whatever it is, you're going to have to make more decisions and you're going to have to make bigger decisions faster. So if you're in a small church and you have 40 people, yeah, you might put together a committee who's going to pick paint and carpet and the church might vote on what color it all is. And if you have a church of thousands and multiple campuses, like we do at family church, they just show up one Sunday and go, wow, nice new color, because we're not going to have a conversation about that. That's just going to be made in a more centralized fashion. But again, depending on the church, the size, kind of the style, the culture of the church, it could be, it could be different. But I do think that uh, the larger a church, the more complex are the mechanisms that are required to run the organization probably the more centralized decision-making is going to have to be.
1: And so I know we recently revised our bylaws several years ago, and then we did some reordering this year because we wanted to address some topics that are already addressed in the Baptist Faith and Message, but we wanted to go ahead and put them in our bylaws. So issues like that, like what raises to the level of, I'm going to amend our bylaws because this is so important that we have it clearly spelled out?
0: Well, I do think that your bylaws have to spell out your uh, leadership structure. Mm -hmm. Your bylaws have to spell out your membership process. Mm -hmm. If you have church members, which we strongly believe in church membership. So you got to spell out your membership process your bylaws need to spell out who is overseeing you know, the finances. Your bylaws need to spell out who is overseeing pastoral compensation. Your bylaws need to spell out which decisions are made by pastors, elders, staff, which are made, if any, by committees, which, if any, are made by deacons, and which, if any, are made by the congregation as a whole. Mm-hmm. All of that needs to be spelled out. There also ought to be a process of transition. So what happens if your lead pastor or if an elder is disqualified or removed or incapacitated or an elder or pastor who dies, what do you do? All kinds of things that you have to you have to take into account for the bylaws. But the bylaws also ought to uh, spell out or at least connect with the the core doctrinal beliefs of the church. So your core doctrine and beliefs ought to be included or at least referenced in your bylaws. And so we recently redid some of our bylaws because we wanted to spell out a little bit in a little bit more specificity our positions on things like gender, sexuality, and family structure, our position on um, our pro-life position as a church. And we had some other things that we wanted to go ahead and put in our bylaws. And the reason for that is we think that the potential exists for in the future, someone to challenge us in court for decisions that we make regarding membership or employment or access to facilities or whatever. And we wanna make sure that we had kind of uh, already codified in our bylaws as a church family, what we believe about these things, how these decisions are made, who is leading, so that if we're challenged in court, we can say no, we've already put this all together and this is how we operate as an organization.
1: That's excellent. So I think you listed some really excellent things there that every pastor should consider as he looks at his bylaws um, to set yourself up for success and also to be looking into the future about things that are on the horizon that might come up in our culture because we want to be prepared. We don't want to be caught off guard. So I think this has been very helpful. Any last words you want to say to a pastor who's thinking about this for the first time or hasn't thought about it for a while?
0: Well, I would just say it's not something to panic over, but it is something to be engaged in. And so if you're a pastor, you're a new pastor, you've been there a while, if you want to make some significant changes to your church, whether that's a change to your church name, your church structure, your church location, I'll just encourage you to become an expert on your bylaws. And in your bylaws, there's probably a process for changing your bylaws. (laughs) And so I would encourage you if you need to, put a group together, look at other bylaws of churches that you like or churches that you would like to kind of follow their pattern. And I would encourage you to to pull these things together. And then over time at the right time, without forcing it or creating too big of a controversy in your church, try to change your bylaws so that your bylaws reflect the way that your church actually does business and wants to do business. And that's kind of like what we call the business On church business.
1: There you go. So there you have it. The first principle on the business on church business, which is to know your bylaws. And next week, we'll cover some additional topics.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you, too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.